0: Well, would you, Adam and Eve, it's another episode of Never Mind the Keywords. Welcome back, dear listeners. We do hope you're well. My name's Charlie Myler, and with me is my co-host and fellow embryoite, Tamara Siddiqui. Tamara, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Very, very well. Thank you. Uh, As you've come to expect with Never Mind the Keywords, we've got a jam-packed show for you today, as well as chatting about stuff on the internet that we think you should know about. Uh, We'll also be chatting to Caroline Dyer, the co-founder of Heard Storytelling, a business that helps brands and people tell authentic and powerful stories. We'll have all that and more right after this. And welcome back. You join us at the news section where me and Tamara will run through a couple of things that we found online that we think you should know about. Tamara, anything interesting?
1: (laughs) So lots of praise for Channel 4 this week. They've been commended by um, The Drum. They held uh, the Drum Awards for online media and it's it's to do with their use of TikTok and Snapchat. So it's all about how they're connecting with new audiences Mm -hmm. using those social media platforms now. You might assume that that's very easy to do. Yeah. But it's actually not. They're a very, very small team compared to other sort of, you know, news platforms. Yeah. Um, And they've created two series about global politics and where they're talking to younger people about uh, what's going on in the world. Mm. They're touching on the war, everything that's going on at the moment. Um, And they've managed to rack up 3.5 million unique viewers on Snapchat in the last year. So they're doing really well. Um, And it just proves that it's about, you know... Quality, not quantity, Doesn't matter how many people are on a team, you need Mm. to be doing the right thing. And I think they're being, you know, really innovative in the way that they're reaching out.
0: Yeah, I think Channel 4 rarely miss, to be Mm. honest. I think they just get it. They get what needs to be done to remain relevant. And, you know, there's the news about them being privatised, which is personally, I think devastating but you know back to this because i mean that's another episode in and of itself but back to this yeah i think it's it's not surprising that channel four have kind of been commended like this yeah. i think it's taking it's taking we know this as journalists like it's taking the story to where the people are yeah and not assuming that like people don't want to hear about it there's just different ways yeah. of telling that story that isn't know
1: Everything you've got to do it in the right way you've got to tell it in a way that people understand you know you've got to be unbiased you have to be informing people mm. in a way that they just can get on board with, especially, you know, it's younger people using Snapchat as well. Yeah,
0: and through the lens of wherever your audience is and not be afraid to like adapt to that. You know, in fifty years it was the newspaper, now it's through Snapchat and whatever. In fifty years time it'll be something completely different. Yeah I think it's just about right now. Yeah, it's just about accepting that whatever you're, whatever the medium you're telling us, the story's always going to matter, the medium just changes. Yep. So yeah, no, that, that doesn't surprise me. In the slightest that Channel 4 are, are 4 are doing those kind of things. So yeah, big up to those guys. Um, I, uh, I came across an article on The Beeb um, about fake reviews, which are set to be uh, scrutinised more in new government legislation. Um, and it's just sort of shocked me, really, because... Um, the competition watchdog, they will now get new f- uh, new powers, basically, to fine firms up to 10% of their global turnover for bad business practices. And did you know that the average UK household spends about 900 quid a year after being influenced by online reviews? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So I think by fake reviews, I think it's like the sort of... I mean, I think we could all probably s- smell out a fake review if we saw it, but it's those kind of... They look very scripted, they're not very authentic, and I think finally yeah. they're going to be sort of tackled and sort so of
1: businesses and potentially the, f- the friends and family or the employees of that business just writing fake articles.
0: yeah and sp- and spamming it with i think google are pretty clever with that stuff anyway yeah. nowadays with like google reviews it has to be authentic mm-hmm. and it has to come from genuine sources um but it's good to see that yeah i agree it's being cracked down and obviously everybody listening would never delve into these practices but for those that do that aren't listening uh it's about time you kind of book up your yeah. ideas really because it's, it's just in If you're doing that, it's indicative of a bigger problem in your business that you're not providing the service or...
1: Well, actually, some people just can't be bothered to... I mean, some people don't have a huge online presence, and I think Mm. maybe more in the older generation. depends if you're like a a local business or a family business. You know, your first thought is sort of give us a review on Google. But now, I mean, a lot of services I've used in the past couple of years not years I'd say months actually I, I can remember that they've said to me can you you know mm. well they followed up by text afterwards yeah to ask for a Google review so perhaps more and more businesses will be doing that now it's hard
0: work to get people to review yeah. I've been asked to review stuff and I like to think that nine times out of ten I will but it's people don't automatically know where to go or how to do it, I don't think. So businesses might need to get a bit savvier about directing people push. to that. Yeah, or an incentive or things like that. Mm. But I mean, I was a real life example. I bought some running trainers yesterday and I was completely influenced by the reviews. So I hope to God that they're all genuine, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, because you've parted with the best part of 100 quid for them. Yeah. Based on yeah strangers essentially and it, it
1: is crazy how one uh, bad review can throw you off Even oh completely if like 10 good ones you're like no yeah I, like, yeah I must have looked at like yeah i must
0: have looked like half a dozen different trainers and one bad review i was like Psh, gone yeah. which is wrong because i'm sure they were perfectly fine but yeah it's um i think it's a good real life example of what hopefully is going to be cracked down um cracked down on in the near future when we come back we'll be chatting to caroline dyer from Heard storytelling Welcome back to Nevermind the Keywords. Uh, We are delighted to be joined by Caroline, um, who is a founder of Heard Storytelling. Caroline, welcome to Nevermind the Keywords. How are you?
2: I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's
0: an absolute pleasure. Thank you for for giving up your time to to come on the pod. Um, Let's start with the broad stuff. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your background up until now, and then we'll dive into uh, your rather storied career? Um, after that.
2: Great pun. <laughs> I love that you've started with a pun.
0: I didn't do that intentionally. <laughs> it, sure.
2: You just You'd rehearsed that. <laughs> that. You thought of that in the in shower. In the mirror. Yeah, that. yeah, That's yeah, hilarious. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So my name is Caroline, and i um, My background careers-wise has been incredibly varied. Started off in hospitality because I grew up in Bournemouth um, and everybody either works in a hotel, restaurant, or a nursing home there. (laughs) Um, Then I moved into uh, the events and communications sector when I moved up to I moved and lived in London. Uh, I then moved on into the charity sector working for the organization Action Against Hunger. Um, I did that I moved and and brought actually an office up to Manchester um, opened up an office there a couple of years ago and then COVID happened I was made redundant and um, then I started working back again in the events arena when events started opening up again but behind all of that about five six years ago i started up an organization called heard storytelling which is a spoken stories company which aims to give a voice to people who don't normally get their stories heard working with businesses organizations individuals um to yeah to show the story the the power of true storytelling
0: yes we'll touch on heard quite a bit um very soon because it's a fascinating concept i think we've chatted off off mic about it and and how you came about how, how its inception came about it's really really interesting but let's um let's roll back a bit um you you went to Honduras yeah uh I'd wonder if you wanted to touch a little bit more on that um uh, why did you go there uh what did you do there and you had quite a turbulent start to that trip do you mind telling the listeners a little bit more about that
2: sure okay so I didn't go to university all my friends went to university, and I was quite smug at the time because I was working in restaurants and hotels in Bournemouth, making cash whilst yeah. they were living in the like terrible <laughs> uh, student accommodation. Know the feeling. And um, that's that feeling of smugness changed when I was about twenty three, twenty four, when they all started getting proper jobs, yeah. and I was working in a bar in Bournemouth, going oh this isn't yeah. really what I want to be doing I don't know where to go next and so at 24 I had a little bit of a breakdown like like a serious like yeah. breakdown um and <laughs> as uh, as the privileged human that I am I decided oh the best thing to do would be go
0: traveling
2: <laughs> find myself yes so uh but not wanting to do that because I'd done it already before the Thailand sitting on a beach with a bucket of whiskey. Um, I wanted to go and do something meaningful. It took me a long time to find a project that wasn't volunteerism. But I came across this project in Honduras. And this is going back quite a few years when I didn't really do the whole, like, you know, Google searching and stuff wasn't what it is now. So I wasn't aware of the fact that it was the number one country in the world for homicide when I was like, take me to that place. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the project was um Honduras is in the back pockets of uh American corporations doll chiquita coca cola. The farmers there are well paid a less than dollar a day living in horrendous conditions and this woman had had the idea from America had had the idea that if we could um upskill people in a different um in a different sector, Mm -hmm. they'd be able to get jobs either outside of Honduras or on these two Honduran islands, which are called Roatan and Utila, um, where mainly expats are living. So they could go and work in hotels and restaurants and uh, be able to bring in an income. It's a really small grassroots organization and idea. It's tiny in the grand scheme of things, Mm -hmm. but I was like, this is what I wanted to do. And at the time I was... um, With my my boyfriend at the time, could speak fluent Spanish. He wanted to go away too. Mm -hmm. And so the two of us decided, this looks like the project for us. Let's go and do this.
1: How long were you set to be there for?
2: Well, (laughs) we were there for six months. Well, we were supposed to be there for six months. I'm saying we were supposed to because two hours into us arriving, my boyfriend decided that he didn't want to be there. What, um <laughs> what well as time? I've alluded to already Honduras was yeah. it's only second now <laughs> it has being beaten by Caracas as the number one country in the world for homicide we arrived and it is it's a developing country yeah. and he wasn't prepared for it yeah um and you know now there's you know deeper reasons as to why it wasn't going to work for him at the time when you're 23 24 you think you can solve all of your issues by going to a different (laughs) country um and it just it wasn't right for him but I'm very stubborn and didn't want to let down the organization that were relying on us so I stayed
1: what about you so when you got there did you have those same feelings but you pushed through it or yeah
2: yeah yeah we were in the middle of nowhere and it was the inception of this program so it was teaching people english with the then the uh, we teach people english and then they could go out and get jobs like Mm. that was like the big plan But we were there right at the very beginning Mm, with the first people arriving there um and (laughs) yeah it was it was pretty scary
1: so you stuck to the bigger picture then and it seems like that's something you've actually done throughout your career yes and you you know you've You went on to work for Action Against Hunger, and Mm -hmm. I guess you can see these projects in your head how they're going to end, and you know the the difference that you can make. Yeah. And so, how long did you end up staying there for?
2: I was there for six months. You were there for six months. Yeah. Yeah. And the program is still going now, and it's incredible. Like I have, I'm not saying that it's the answer to anybody's um, situation, and I'm not going to advocate for westerners going out unskilled to developing countries i want to be really clear with that it's really hard to find a project Mm. that's not voluntourism um i got lucky is the wrong word but i i worked hard to try and find something that wasn't voluntourism you know we didn't have to pay money to be there or anything she really just wanted hands-on and i now know that the project is using funds to employ hondurans which is exactly what program should be doing um and as my brother rightly pointed out at the time, I probably could have had an easier ride if I just volunteered at my local like youth centre in Bournemouth.
0: might not be, <laughs> yeah, he's probably not wrong. But I think it's clearly shaped. I mean, I was going to ask you if it's still going, and it's so great to hear that it is, and doing yeah. such a great thing in the way that you envisaged it all those years ago. How how did that six months shape everything you've done up until now? Then, because we'll we'll touch on action against hunger after in, in a bit. But yeah, what was it about those kind of six months that you know, what? how impactful was
2: that? I get described a lot by my friends as being strong. Yeah. And I think that it's from that experience yeah, of well. tenacity of staying and just pushing through yeah. and making the best of a really crappy situation. Yeah. Um, on my first night of being there, I heard machine gun shots yeah, fire yeah. outside yeah. My, my house. Mm. But I didn't leave. And yeah. I think when you've been in a situation when you know how... How fortunate we are. Like, mm. if I wanted to, I could have got a ticket back home. Yeah. But none of the Hondurans could get escape that situation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it brings a bigger picture to things, so,
0: right? Yeah, provide perspective yeah. for everything that you do going forward. Can yeah. I
1: just ask you a question? Because um, I think a lot of people don't know about this, and I, I, myself included, don't. I'd love to do a volunteering trip, you know, for however yeah. long it is, a couple of weeks, a month. What is the difference when you have to pay to be there and when you don't?
2: Mm. Okay, So, in general, if you're looking to go and volunteer abroad, there are hundreds and hundreds of these kind of scamming companies where you will pay thousands of pounds to go and, I don't know, build a well, build a school, um, teach English, whatever it is. And people are well, like, very meaningfully want to go out and help. But the best thing in any situation is for locals to be doing that. So why are people paying thousands of pounds yeah. to go and experience what it's like? Yeah. Um, there's just so many things wrong with voluntourism. The best thing you could possibly do is volunteer locally and fundraise to, for organizations, yeah. reputable companies, around organizations, charities around the world that are already in place doing the work yeah. because most of the time you're doing more harm than good. Like... And it's it's heartbreaking because everybody goes out there with the best intention, but
1: yes, it's like a shame for me to hear that because I've really got that. I really wanted to do that next year, but and I had no idea. But potentially,
2: you can take your like if you've got yeah, exactly. If you've got um, if you've got skills that you can offer for free, and you're not paying, and you wanted to go and do, Mm. you know what you maybe you could take, you know, you were to take your podcast for example to somewhere and be able to offer that as a free service that people can hear stories from. Mm you know, from, I'm just giving this as an idea, yeah, but that's a thing do. that you probably couldn't, you know, that's a thing that you can yeah, offer as a yeah. skill that you could do for free. However, what I would recommend that you um, stay away from is any companies where you're having to pay money to be there because yeah. that money, those hundreds, thousands mm. of pounds would be much better just going to a local charity yeah. so they can do it themselves.
0: Yeah. It's quite a small, It seem, it's seemingly small, but a very, very significant difference. I had no idea about this yeah. kind of, that you know the voluntarism buzzword and those kind of things yeah. I think it's very it's a very small thing but it's very very important and I think it's a good it's probably good for the listeners to, you know if they're ever interested in doing that that's your red line essentially as if and it's a good way of knowing what's the most authentic way and what mm. isn't the most authentic way necessarily so
2: yeah for sure the good to know. and there's definitely ways about like if you it, <laughs> The best thing to do is go to the country that you want to, and then you'll be making friends with locals. Mm-hmm. And then they'll probably say, Oh, could you give me a hand with this, this, yeah. and this? Like, that's yeah. probably the best way to do yeah. it. Um, like, I now look back at my time in Honduras and I question whether or not it was right because we were like interacting with children on a daily yeah. basis, and um, these kids although it was totally well-meaning, they would, like, come out and hang, hang out with us, yeah. and we would play with them, and then after six months, we've gone. And if you're constantly bringing in new people mm. into small children's lives... Mm.
0: It's going
2: to happen. And then you've got to think about, you know, the white saviour yeah. element yeah. to it as well. People going out, taking pictures of themselves, you know, yeah. look at me, mm. I'm with somebody that's not white, like, oh, yeah, it gets yeah. icky. Yeah, it does get it gets icky. You're right, you're right.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's... some great deal of value in there for people listening and about what they want to do if they're thinking about kind of replicating what you've done so those six months were incredibly impactful it sounds like and they came and went and it led you one way or another to action against hunger yeah um, so this is a charity that uh, provides aid and hopes to stamp out child hunger globally um, how did how did your work i'm to tell us a bit about it and how did it sort of impact your life going forward
2: um, yeah, absolutely. So I worked in the fundraising department for Action Against Hunger. Um, and fundraising is a mega mix of marketing, mm-hmm. sales, um, yeah, marketing and sales. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and a lot of creativity and events, which was all my background. Like, the, So it was just perfect. And Action Against Hunger is really well supported by the food and drinks industry in the UK. Okay. So my job was to look after all of these chefs, restaurants bars that wanted to support action against hunger because there's such a a clear line between you know having an abundance of food in restaurants Mm. but lots of people around the world not having any food which is why it was so well supported by the industry um it's the the lessons i i mean action against hunger is an incredible organization and i'm a huge supporter of what they do um i actually was talking to um Somebody that worked in Somalia, he was, he, he was and uh, worked in the embassy in Somalia. And when I talked to him I worked for Action Against Hunger, he was like, thank God, they're one of the only organizations that actually gets shit done. And I was like, wow. that's amazing really? to hear that. And there's actually probably only a handful of global organizations that I would want to work for. Mm. Really? The well, reason that I love working for Action Against Hunger is they're non-political, they are non-religious, um so it means that they can get in on the front line without all the bureaucracy that goes behind it and what they do which is they are the experts in ending child hunger they do such an incredible job of it and they are actually advisors to a lot of the big Mm. charities that you will have heard of your unicef's your oxfams your concern you know worldwide that um so it was incredible to be part of it felt a very like kind of grassroots organization because they were they could be malleable Mm. um but for me it was such an interesting time because i got to work with the hospitality industry which is what i had been doing you know for years and i have a huge passion for food and drink um whilst being able to offer my expertise in marketing and events Mm. and whatnot to raise serious amounts of cash where it needed to go you
0: can navigate those two worlds quite i imagine that's yeah gold dust really to be able to go into a kitchen or a restaurant and deal with them and Mm -hmm. then also deal with the charity side of it um you were there for seven years what were there any kind of uh, memorable stories that immediately spring to mind or was there any kind of experiences that really stuck with you
2: yeah i i was fortunate enough to go out and see a few of our programs um which isn't Something that everybody gets to do when they work in fundraising for an overseas charity because obviously it costs a lot of money yeah. to go and do it. But I was fortunate enough to take supporters out to Ethiopia, to Mumbai, and then when I was on holiday, and this is another thing that's come from me going out to Honduras, is that I just constantly put my mum at fear as to the places that I go on holiday yeah, so when I was on when I was on holiday in Palestine um <laughs> no I was, well, I was in holiday I, I went on a vacation to Israel and, and Palestine and um went to go and see Action Against Hunger's office in Palestine yeah. and um I went to go and meet a woman who had been a beneficiary to um some Action Against Hunger funding um she they provided her with a grant so that she could set up a shop and bring in an income for her family because her husband um had had a stroke and was unable to work anymore um palestine muslim country not many women owning businesses yeah. um she was she was looking after five children that she had and um something that will really always sticks with me is um her oldest son who was just turned 18, she was training him up to work in the shop with her. And maybe a month before we arrived, um, Israeli troops had walked in, taken him, mm. and not told her where they were taking him or where he was. And he could be in jail indefinitely for as long as they want, mm. for no reason whatsoever. That story sticks with me, but I think the thing that sticks with me the most is like her huge amount of gratitude that she kept having for yeah. everything in the world and just saying like, you know, God is great, I'll see my son again, like, you know, it was incredibly, incredibly moving and just, again, reminded me of the absolute privilege yeah. that I just happened to be fortunate enough to yeah. be born in the UK um, to, you know, a family that hasn't ever had to struggle, yeah. um, you know, and how privileged it is to have my passport and, and be able to live my life.
0: Um, yeah, it's uh, unimaginable is a word overused, yeah. but it really it literally is unimaginable. Like, you know, you can't you can't that's an incredibly moving story. Mm-hmm. Um you touched on Mumbai there. Yeah. Um you so you worked in those countries. What 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 is there any kind of story from Mumbai in particular that Yeah.
2: That so, you? um Mumbai was actually the last trip I did before COVID. I went there in January 2020. It took out a bunch of our supporters. And actually the program in Mumbai went to go and visit, it's about three hours drive north of Mumbai in a very rural village. Um, And actually it's hunger there is um, putting in real, it seems super basic to to Westerners, but you know, about round maternal care and the importance of hand washing and clean sanitation working everything actually as hunger does is very much luck lo- working with locals on a local basis mm-hmm. so it was incredible to be able to see those programs in action and again a story that really sticks with me is they were building tippy taps with the kids there and they're like really basic kind of hand washing stations and they've made up like a little kind of poem to teach kids how to, you know, how to wash their hands. Um, and all these kids are, like, getting in line to, like, show how they're washing <laughs> their hands. And the idea is you teach the kids how to wash their hands, then they take that back into their homes. Yeah. And they want to do it at home. And maybe the parents who didn't know the importance yeah. of sanitation then start, you know, learning with their kids rather than going in and saying to the parents, this is what you should be doing. Because, again, you know, you're 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 having to work in a very sensitive nature with with adults like you, mm. you can't goes, go in and parent adults but you can work with the kids mm. and just three months later COVID um there was COVID happened yeah. Yeah, so. and my heart just like went out to all these kids that I just learned how to hand wash
1: oh, God, so it goes way beyond hunger then doesn't it
2: oh absolutely yeah I mean hunger people will think of hunger just being not having enough food yeah. to eat but You could give a kid as much food as it could possibly in the Mm. world. If it's got diarrhea because it's drinking dirty water, it's not going to be able to keep the food down. Or if it's got a parasite Mm. from, uh, you know, picking up something, it's not going to be able to keep food down. There's so many reasons as to why a kid Mm. will fall hungry.
1: And how do people in these countries get involved or chosen to take part in schemes like this? Because I've I've been to Mumbai quite a few times because my dad's Indian. He's from Mumbai. Ah, okay. um, In the Santa Cruz area. Okay. But I. Didn't know if you were going to say that the charity just kind of went out and fed kids on the street because you it is quite quite common you do just see kids walking yep. around asking for food. Yep. Um, some of them are homeless, some of them
2: aren't. But
1: how do these everyday people that are just walking around looking for help, how do, how do they get involved? How do they be helped?
2: Oh, <laughs> well, you've got to hope that there is an organisation that yeah. has got enough funding in the area that's got support from local or yeah. regional governments um, it's super complex and it varies from mm. literally from town to city to mm. um, area to country. Um, there will be, you know, I can only speak on behalf of Action Against yeah. Hunger. They will identify key areas where they think they can help the most. Yeah. Um, and maybe when I say help, help the most, that might be because they've got a really good relationship with a, um, a local government that really wants to yeah. To end whatever it is or build whatever it is, mm. um, so yeah, it's if you've been out to Mumbai and seen it, it's incredibly upsetting to yeah. s- to see and witness mm. how how hungry, how poor, um, how desperate people are. Um, and my advice is always the same thing: like if you go to a country and you see something you know something that upsets you and you want to give give to an organization a reputable organization that's working in the area and you will be assured that that money will go to that place because we've all seen slumdog millionaire and you know that if you just give cash you don't know if it's actually going to that kid or whether it's going Mm. to again it's 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 heartbreaking and it's really hard to know what to do
0: do your research basically yeah if you're gonna
2: and a really easy way to do research if you're like, oh, I want to donate to a charity. If you go on a charity's website and they don't have a clear link to their um, their income and outgoings on their front page, like here's here's our accounts on the on the homepage, ignore them straight away. Really, they're not a, they're not a great I charity. Had no idea. To work That's with. interesting. A charity should be incredibly yeah. proud of how much money actually goes to its programs.
1: So, other than Action Against Hunger. Um What are the, you know, you said there's a handful that
2: you would work Mm -hmm. for. Which charities are they? The other organization I love is Médecins Sans Frontières, which is um, Doctors Without Borders. Mm -hmm. Really, they work in a really similar way to Action Against Hunger in that they are non-political, non-religious, are on the ground. And also what I really like about MSF is that they um, are very vocal about being disparaging to... Governments or uh, that uh, mm. that aren't, you know, they hold people accountable, yeah. hold governments accountable. So MSF and Action Against Hunger is a French charity as well. So two French charities. Mm, um I'm not going to pronounce Action Against Hunger in French because <laughs> seven years I worked there and seven years I still balled up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll um,
0: we'll leave links to both of those websites yes, in the in the show yeah. notes for people if they want to donate or get involved or or anything like that. Let's um. Let's move on to herd, which is your passion project and the the thing I'm most interested to chat to you about. Mm-hmm. Um, it started in a pub. Yes. A pub in Manchester.
2: Great ideas starting pubs. <laughs> great right? ideas starting pubs and some
0: bad ones, but mostly <laughs> good ones. Um, do you want to just? Kind of start from the inception of uh, Heard and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper.
2: So Heard started off in 2016 and it was my answer to everything bad that happened in 2016. Trump, Brexit, David Bowie. No, it wasn't, unfortunately couldn't do anything to help David Bowie. But um, 2016 was the year when it just became so evident how much we're shouting at each other and not listening. Mm -hmm. Um, And the world is becoming more and more Polarized with you know like your 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 social media feed like your news feed like and so what I wanted to do was just have a space where anybody from all walks of life could come together and tell their own story so I'd pick a theme each month and people would just come along listen learn and then the amazing thing afterwards is after the official part of the storytelling section had happened, people would start chatting to each other mm. and you would have people, as I say, like very different people who didn't think they have anything in common mm. finding how much they all had in common, then that divides us.
1: So was it like on stage they told stories?
2: Yeah, we had a tiny yeah. little stage, It was just yeah. in Gulliver's in wow. the Northern Quarter. Um, so that's how it started and then it grew and grew in popularity. We moved venue because we couldn't, you know, couldn't see enough people in Gulliver's. Mm. Um, and then COVID happened. Um, I and mean,
1: was it like life stories, things that happened <laughs> Yes, happen so it's them? all true stories Yep. Yeah.
2: about things that happened to you. And there's a couple of rules. It has to be true, it yeah. has to be five minutes, and it has to be about yourself. Nice.
1: I can imagine it's quite cathartic for people
2: so to do that, So cathartic. It's a little bit like a cross between stand-up comedy meets um, a therapy session. Yeah, yeah
0: I was just going to say it sounds like a interesting mashup of yeah what were the themes you had then just just one or two off the top of your head.
2: oh my god all sorts the um, we would ugh.
0: was it was it quite jovial or did did you have a mix of kind we of we had a mix so
2: sometimes we would do like first dates and that mm. was always absolutely hilarious that sounds or good, yeah. um new beginnings or um families or yeah uh, themes that would be quite broad enough for people to to spark an interest yeah. but not narrow enough to drive people down one story. Like New mm. Beginnings could be something to so many different people. Yeah. Like I can just off the top of my head remember New Beginnings. We had stories about people quitting their jobs, leaving their husbands, you know, and everything yeah, in yeah. between.
0: They're all new yeah. relatively to, relative to the person. Yeah. yeah. Um, how powerful then... Broadly, is storytelling, do you think, for people and businesses and organisations?
2: Incredibly, incredibly powerful. I can't re-emphasise this. I can't emphasise this enough, sorry. Um, When a person tells a true story, this is a scientific fact here, that when somebody taps into their own experience and really thinks about exactly what happened to them, um, they start firing off these neurons in, in their head which when a person is listening to it if, if the story is being told really well mm. it will light up the same part of their head that's lighting up in the in the storytellers and that is where we create empathy
1: mm. and that's why real life stories even in the press are so successful and when I used to work at um, a local newspaper in Portsmouth you get people afterwards they've shared their story with you and they're like thank you so much for just letting me do that and yeah. I've, I've had people say it's been a cathartic experience for yeah. them before and you just Emotion is always so successful because people like to feel something. And that's why I think real life stories are so successful. Yeah. Um, and you, you say there's three strands of herd storytelling. So do you want to tell us about what they are?
2: Yes. So after um, when, when COVID happened and um, we had to take herd storytelling online, we then started thinking about how we could develop this because we realized that what happens in this small small room if we could take that out to the world, it yeah. could be incredibly powerful. Yeah. So um, we've developed Herd Storytelling, um, and there's three offerings. There's Heard Live, which is our community event, which can be delivered in person or in live um, online, and it's a safe and welcoming space to tell true stories about yourself. Um, as I said, we, we started it in the back room of a pub, so it's in our roots. Um, so that's Herd Live. Then there's Heard Connect which is best way to describe heard connectors in this like new and unsettled and divided landscape um well-being has never been so important and we know that by listening and being heard we can create empathy as i explained before um and it ultimately bonds people together in um the most incredible way so mm. If we, were, we could work with businesses or organizations to bring people together to learn how to craft an incredible story about themselves and share it with their colleagues or with their friends or other people in the organization, it's going to bond people together in a way that you just wouldn't do if you normally walked into the office and said, oh, how's your day? With a Herd Connect session, we help people really understand how to tap into key areas of how to tell a story and be able to deliver it in a really safe environment. Mm. Um, it's um, it's incredibly empowering and enjoyable too. So we've worked with all sorts of different businesses and organisations to deliver these herd connect st- storytelling sessions, and they could almost be thought of as doing like a team building, yeah. but with purpose. Yeah. Um, and then the third part is herd amplified. So this is our project based, um, our project based. Uh, offering, Mm -hmm. which normally tackles social issues. So this is taking people's stories, working with organizations or um, working on a specific human rights area to be able to collect their stories mm-hmm. and amplify them out to the world, so that might be collecting stories and um, creating a gallery experience, for people to come down and listen to their stories in a really imaginative way. It um, could be creating um, something bespoke for a company, so they've got soundscapes within yeah. their businesses which you wouldn't normally get, like and everything all between. That's our really imaginative, creative, anything goes yeah.
0: section of the section. Thing. Yeah, why is it? Why is um storytelling so thought of so little or so undervalued is it people's attention spans is it the world we live in or
2: I don't think that it's undervalued I think we just hear from the same people I would say we hear a lot of stories from white straight men we're not hearing stories from people that aren't necessarily Um, and I think it would do organisations and businesses the world of good if they started listening more to their their employees or their you know people that they they um interact with um because as i've explained before like it's 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 undervalued because we're not giving a platform to the people that really need to be heard i would say um and when we start giving that platform people soon quickly realize oh my god this is amazing for my organization we um We worked with a recruitment company that wanted to tackle um, diversity. It was right after Black Lives Matter movement had happened, but they didn't want to just get people together and say, right, now we're going to talk about human rights. So Herd Storytelling came in and we delivered a Herd Connect session. um, So everybody learned how to tell their own story. And then they told it back Mm. to the organization and people told things about how they'd experienced homophobia or racism or um, misogyny. And on as part of that experience, there was their bosses listening into it. There were, the, you know, everybody in between It was at this, you know, this event, This and they heard from their colleagues, oh, my God, you know, I sit next to you every single day and I had no mm, idea yeah. what it's like to be you.
0: That's quite, um, I don't know, just like, that must be a very overwhelming experience for everyone involved there. Yeah. I imagine you must get a lot of, why didn't we do this sooner? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. that just sounds incredibly, like, yeah. uh, deep and profound. Absolutely. It must be amazing to be a part of, to see that, you it's know, a, provide yeah. the platform for it like you do, and then, you know, be able to let it happen in front of you. It must be incredibly rewarding.
2: It's an absolute privilege. Yeah. It really is. Would you say uh, it, it is very apparent that, like, a
1: a very fulfilling role is important to you and not not everyone gets to do something that you know fills them up and where you get to help other people so how how important is that to you and do you feel lucky that you get to work in roles where you can actually make a direct uh, difference in people's lives
2: i well like there's two answers to this like firstly yes I absolutely I mean, with her storytelling I absolutely love it it's a privilege and um, all, all the stuff I do for Action Against Hunger when I do volunteering um, or campaigning yes because I am acutely aware that I have been born with privileges yeah. and being able to just even give like a tiny bit of that to help other people is um is very rewarding but when you work in the charity sector or whatnot, it does. It's just a, it becomes like a day job. So you still get the same frustrations mm. yeah. with like, you know, this spreadsheet isn't working <laughs> yeah. or I've got to call these people today. Yeah. Like, you know, I'd, I never walk home, never, ever walk home or out of a situation going, God, I did good today. Yeah. I so helped the world today, yeah. like ever.
0: But yeah. I suppose it's experiencing those same frustrations that we all do, but you're doing it in a context that more broadly is going to impact on people. I suppose that's the yeah. price in inverted commas that you'd pay yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for that. Um, what to you then makes a good story? If, if, if business owners or, or just regular Joes are listening to this, how can they tell a better story and what would be the benefits to them of doing that?
2: I mean, I feel like they need to come on a Hard Connect session I for me to well. uh, to give away my tips Linking and tricks. Bio, <laughs> <link in bio. laughs> no, what? okay, so uh, um, my first tip would be, and a really important one, is to really connect with your emotions, which is unbelievably hard mm. to teach to a majority of our um, people that we have work with have been based in the UK. Uh, it's a lot easier to do this. When we, when we have a session with Americans, I'm like, yeah. hey, now we're going to tap into our emotions. They're like, okay, I already got this. <laughs> like, uh, I talked through all this with my therapist already. Yeah. Um, you tell a bunch of people from the UK, right, we're going to tap into our emotions now, and they're like, I'm sorry, what? Or
1: well, what does that even mean? Oh we, Yeah,
2: we did a project recently in Qatar, and that was like 10 times even harder. But when you start tapping into your emotions about how you really felt in that mm, moment... Yeah that is when the magic comes Mm. because you being able to describe in real detail not just what happened but how it made Mm. you feel is where you start unlocking empathy
0: yeah do you think that some people think those two things are the one thing rather than it you know if this happened to me oh god also equals how i feel but it's not they're two very distinct things
2: when we're doing one-on-one work with Mm. people um one of the things I will just be going back to them over and over again is okay stop telling me what happened in a linear way like just tell me how it felt put me put me inside mm. your story people can tell the most awful devastating tragic stories but they'll tell it almost from like a helicopter version of it yeah. because they don't they're, maybe they're too scared or it's very vulnerable to go back and relive some moments that happened to you because you don't want to relive it Shit. it's horrible yeah. but then when you put yourself back into that place again, that's when the magic and also healing can start happening Mm. then again. Um, And I should say at the same time as doing that, if we are ever working with um, somebody who wants to tell a story that is um, potentially triggering, we have safeguarding in place. Um, We make sure that we look after Mm. um, our storytellers and that they are fully aware before we start any process what what might bring up and then we can advise them on what they could do mm. should they should they feel triggered or should they feel overwhelmed or they, you know they want to just scrap the whole thing or they don't yeah. want us to put the story out anywhere like obviously they're we they are our primary concern yeah
0: always that's that's i mean, must be very reassuring for them to be able to give you give people that safe space and i think yeah. that's probably why people struggle isn't it because they can't find a, a platform or a safe space to sort of dig deep within because that's where all the stories start from i presume is where it's it's within it's within someone it's just about kind of you know drawing that out slowly but surely in an authentic way
2: it's about i think a lot of the time it's people not feeling like they're heard Mm. we put as much emphasis on being active listeners especially our heard live events um we always ask for people to listen write down particular lines Mm. or you know things that feelings that they came up when someone's speaking because you could tell a story and then if people just sit there in complete silence you might get a clap at the end Mm. but you're all sat there going oh my god what do they think of me and then all of the negative thoughts start coming in so it's really important that the listener feeds back and is like i am here i'm holding space for you i'm listening um, and that is something that we've, we've heard when we've done one-on-one on work, one work with people telling difficult stories is, oh God, it was just felt so good to be listened to.
0: Mm. It's very powerful, isn't it? Very
2: profound, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um,
1: so aside from your sort of professional work, what else would you say has helped with your personal development over the years? So do you, are there any particular authors or podcasts or anything like that?
2: I think one of the things, the thing that has helped me beyond anything else, is to make sure that I'm not just surrounding myself with people who are like me. Yeah. Um, I, I, get, I learn more from hanging out with my mate Mel, who is retired um, and has lived the most amazing, colourful life, than I would do from sitting down for, like, yeah. four or five hours with, you know, and one of, you know, somebody that's just like me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and working actually against hunger I was surrounded by people from all different countries backgrounds um so I would say trying to trying to know a friend or um yeah uh, people that aren't like yeah Yeah. I would say that and then um yeah I don't know if there's specific books (laughs) or podcasts I would I would listen well, well I do I mean I read and listen to a lot of podcasts but everything then I suppose everything
1: just
0: yeah. learn and grow doesn't it yeah how can um, businesses get in touch with you guys then if they're if they're listening to this and thinking we've not told our story authentically or we need to what's the kind of what's the what's the process that you guys go through
2: well first of all they need to come and find us so they can find us at com or email me if you could put the link in, will, in the bio thank absolutely. you um and then what we would do is work with the business to find out um what solution they need for their company so if they're thinking right i've got our team and they're just not talking to each other right that's one thing we'll want to do but if or maybe it's they want to celebrate diversity that's in their company Mm -hmm. and then maybe we can come to them with another idea so we work very closely to find out exactly what an organization wants to get out of their experience with telling a story. yeah, we listen to them and then we'll we'll come back with a few imaginative, creative ideas for them.
0: Fantastic. And, I mean, it sounds like herds just going from strength to strength. Where do you see, where do you see it in one, five, ten years time? What's the kind of grand plan other than helping people and businesses tell their stories?
2: Well, uh, um, where do I see it in one year's time? I would love to be, like being able to dedicate more of my time, like doing less, I'm freelance, so doing less freelance <laughs> work and more herd storytelling work—that'd be the first year, five years, fully fledged, in ten years. I would love to just—I mean, the dream would just be able to have like herd businesses around the world working mm. with lots of different individuals and 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 companies, and just telling as many stories in as many imaginative ways as we possibly can.
1: Mm.
0: Well, it's a very um, profound thing that you guys do and I'm sure that it will go from strength to strength in the, in, the, in, the, in the next few years before we let you go we have to do the quick fire round
2: <laughs> which has which been it's just so hard like honestly I don't know the answer to half of these ones we am sure
0: we've had a few guests on now and the quick fire round has been the most stressful part of the whole thing and mm-hmm. we did it as a little bit of fun at the end and i feel terrible for doing it but now it's a thing <laughs> we've just got to keep doing it so tomorrow is going to run through 10 questions that we we have shown you before full disclosure
1: but it's hard, yeah, it's hard when
0: yeah
2: no because i haven't made up my mind on like half of them <laughs> okay. like even the first but one it
1: to you. so favorite chocolate bar
2: tony's chocolate have
1: it's you heard skirt, of tony's, tony's
0: chocolate? Chocolate? do you know the, the colorful slab Colourful slab. Terrible
2: way. To Colourful slab. It's like have the green and the
0: red. You, you, oh my God, I they're you amazing. recognise the brand.
2: Oh. They're super, I mean, the, the great thing is they're super ethical, but yes. th- they are absolutely delicious. Yeah, like, Ooh, really have to have a look into splash out Tony's and get anywhere. yourself some Tony's yeah, chocolate. Yeah, yeah. They're a little more pricey than, than usual, good but though. worth it.
1: Really good.
2: <laughs> okay, biggest inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is so hard for a quick fire round. Okay, <laughs> biggest inspiration is anybody that takes a risk or puts themselves out into the world and just says, yes, I'm going to try it.
1: Yeah, I love that. Uh, Best habit?
2: Getting up early and um, writing a gratitude list before I do anything.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that more. Uh, Worst habit? (laughs) (laughs) My worst habit. Um, Is it something you can divulge on the podcast?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Worst habit is doubting myself too much. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So this leads on to that. If you could, if you would change anything about yourself, what would it be?
2: Uh, the, I would. Oh my god, I would change so much about myself if I could. Well, see, that's the overthinking part. Yeah. There we go. Okay. I would stop. I yeah. stop myself yeah. from overthinking. Well, so and we've just had that go a few times it. from mm.
0: guests who said that. I, think
2: I mean, hard. my alternate answer to both of those one is choosing appropriate partners. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. That a big Worst
2: habit, guys I've dated. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, describe your life so far in three words
2: um, privileged, busy, exciting.
1: Cool. And what is something new happening in your life right now?
2: I am finally actually going to be making sure like I'm saying this like I'm actually definitely going to maybe be doing it properly because I've been saying this for about three years now working between Spain and the UK that's exciting yeah I've been learning Spanish and readiness to and Fantastic. now I'm actually going to do it
1: whereabouts in Spain
2: I've not completely decided exactly where but I beat there, and then we'll see how long I beat the last, and I'll burn out and probably go somewhere more chill like Valencia. You
0: can't pick a bad place in Spain, I don't (laughs) think. I think you could just draw a random, throw a pin on a map, and you'd be fine. (laughs)
2: Um, What
1: was your best subject
2: at school? This one is, it's art, but I'm still very angry at my art A level teacher for downgrading me because I used to argue with her.
0: OMG. Do you want a name and shame?
2: Yeah, Miss Gear.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Miss Gear. She Who's downgraded
2: me, she downgraded me. And like, everybody said that my art was better than the grade I was given. And I'm still unbelievably <laughs> angry about it 26 years That's later. That's
1: your story, isn't it, that you need to yeah, tell? That, that yeah, <laughs> your yeah, yeah. Um, what does success look like to you?
2: Success is, success to me is being surrounded by friends, family being grateful for what we have um and happy is such a a flippant word but just feeling grounded and content
1: yeah
2: I think success is feeling content yeah
1: yeah um and have you got any favorite books
2: so many and you've asked me to do top three I could do top 10 do top ten. I can we can put
0: the um
2: in at ten. Um no, okay, I'm gonna give you the top three that come to mind. To kill a mockingbird, I've read more books yes. than I've read that more times than I've read any other book. Little Women was my favourite book when I was growing up, and one of my friends once described me as being like Joe from Little Women, and <laughs> that was probably my best accolade yeah. that I could possibly get <laughs> um and then I'm gonna say half a yellow sun oh wait when I'm okay I would say half a yellow sun but I'm also gonna say a fine balance um so now I'm going top five because my last one I'm gonna choose is audiobook of Alan Bennett reading Winnie the Pooh
0: <gasps> yes
2: which would be one of my desert island disc yeah. tracks that's a solid mix
0: that is fantastic <laughs> Caroline, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Welcome back. Well, I don't know about you, tomorrow, but I thought that was a really um, interesting conversation about Caroline's life up until now, about storytelling.
1: Yeah, do you know what? I, I loved that interview. I think you don't often get to chat to people who have... You know, she's almost dedicated her life in a way, hasn't she, mm. to helping others? And it's interesting what she said about the voluntarism. I think, mm. I, like you said, yeah, like no, I didn't never know. Never heard of that buzzword. So, um, yeah, really insightful chat.
0: Yeah, I think um, to understand the power of what she does is is a rare quality that not many people have. Um, but I think it's super, super powerful, yeah. um, and something that we could all certainly learn from. So, yeah, be sure to um, check out her storytelling. Be sure to, you know. Um, keep on tabs of what they're doing because i'm sure they're going places um in manchester and beyond um that's it for another uh episode of never mind the keywords thank you so so much for listening um be sure to leave a five-star review um tell your mates give us a five-star rating and all that jazz uh, and we will see you next time for another episode